morning, everyone. My name is Frédéric Boutillier. I'm working at Vertis Environmental Finance as head of shipping. I would like first to thank very much Capital Link for their kind invitation this morning. And during this webinar and session, we're going to cover the extension of the EU ETS to shipping. So without further ado, let's jump into the topic. EU ETS for shipping. Let's try to see how we can get at best to ride the wave and to master your compliance plan. First, a few words on Vertis, environmental finance. I believe the numbers are speaking for themselves, but I would say on top of it, four quick motto. First, we, have, we are a trusted partner. We are a MIFID to regulated company, and we have been trading in US for 20 plus years. Secondly, we are extremely competitive in terms of pricing because we have a direct access to the market, IS and EX, and also because we are trading between 40 to 50 million units per year. Also, we have a dedicated team for trading EUS in the shipping market, for the shipping market. And therefore, I believe this combination, this unique combination of experience in trading EUS and experience in the shipping market is a unique and winning combination. Last but not least, together with STX, it's one group, two companies, and STX is covering the voluntary carbon market, while at Vertis, we are focusing on the regulatory carbon market. First, let's start with a quick look at the various scope. I'm sure by now you're very much aware with the various scopes on the vessel types, on the vessel sizes, on the GHG gases covered by the EU ETS, on the emission coverage, and on the various phasing periods. I just wanted to highlight a couple of things on the vessel sizes. Basically, as from 2025, the size of vessels to be included into the MRV will be reduced to 400 GT. And by 27, there are talks that then these vessels will be also included in the ETS. Remains to be confirmed, obviously. Then also CH4, i.e. methane slippage. By 24, it will be covered by the MRV system. And then by 2026, it will be directly included into the uh, EU ETS. Therefore, that's something that should be closely monitored by the concerned owners. Now, obviously, like every rules, there are exceptions. And I would like to, through that particular slide, cover a few of them. Obviously, you have the outermost regions, the small islands, the public service, the ice-class ships, and finally, the port of coal. It is clear that this last exemption is something that we are eagerly waiting for because the list will be published before the 31st of December, and it will be a selection of non-EU transshipment ports within 300 nautical miles of EU which actually will be included in EU ETS port as from the January 
2024. After we reviewed quickly the various scopes of the EU ETS extension to shipping, I would like to show you an important slide, which is the EU price evolution between 2021 to 2023. Basically, as you can see, it's not a straight line. And it's very important to keep in mind that there is a huge volatility in price, although the direction is moving up. Again, I would like to remind to the stakeholders, ship owners, charters, whoever will buy EUAs to comply, that they will have to buy one EUA for each ton of CO2 emitted when they are trading in Europe. So that's obviously a very important element to follow, obviously, the price, but also to understand what is driving that market and to understand what are the what is at stake uh, to follow the element that is uh, moving the price and affecting the price up and down. Looking at the curve from the previous slide, we saw that there is a lot of volatility. And I would like to take just a simple example. Based on some informations, the TATF contracts uh, were settling down uh, to levels that haven't been seen for some time. We were at 42 euro. Uh, and basically, the commitment of traders were showing that a net short position of 25 million EUAs, which is the largest since the data collection started in 2018. But suddenly, the energy complex turned around and basically based on outage of several gas fields in Norway and on the information and announcement that the Dutch government was basically closing permanently Groningen gas field, suddenly the price started to pick up. And following a heavy short squeeze, at the end of April, we were again at the net commitment of traders of a long position of 1 million EUAs. So again, it shows that swings are quite significant. I mean, in that particular example, we went from 80 to basically 95, which is a huge variation. And again, that's something that should be taken as an opportunity. So we've seen just a moment ago that there is a lot of volatility in that market. Now let's look at what are the implications of the addition of shipping to the EU ETS and what is the fundamental balance. There will be more than 81 million units added by the EU to compensate the inclusion of the shipping of shipping to the EU ETS versus 90 million units on the demand side. However, as you all know, there is a phase-in period in 24, 40%, 25, 70%, and 26, 100%. That means that actually, it looks that the fundamental balance for shipping is bearish. Nevertheless, you can't look at EU ETS fundamental balance without having the holistic view of the balance overall, i.e. shipping, industry, aviation. And when you look at the next slide, clearly this timeline is showing that the market is structurally 
bullish. Obviously, there are some elements like the gradual phase out of the aviation uh, free allocation, the one-off rebasing, the increase of linear reduction factor to 4.3 and then 4.4%, which are basically putting pressure on the price. And again, over the next six, seven, eight years, the price is likely to go up. Actually, that's where the EU is willing to put the price and to push forward the price to reach the abatement cost so that ship owner will have no alternative but to move towards more energy efficiency solutions. So as we have seen in the previous slide, the market is structurally bullish. And actually, it can be easily illustrated in the EU forward curve, which, as you can see, is in a steep contango. Now let's have a quick overview at the financial impact of the EU ETS. We took a case study of a Panamax transatlantic round voyage. It's, a, it's an extra EU uh, voyage. Therefore, the emission are going to be covered under the EU ETS for only 50%. And as you can see, on a simple voyage like that, the CO2 emission under the EU ETS is equivalent to 1,590 tons. That means that for this particular voyage, the owner, the charters, will have to buy the equivalent amount of units of EUS to compensate the particular emission of that voyage. Actually, this slide is showing what is the financial impact in terms of time charter equivalent. And as you can see that it is taking into consideration the various phasing, the various prices at the contract, December contract prices, 25, 26. And basically it shows what are the added costs for the voyage, for the respective voyage. And clearly you can see that it has a tremendous impact on the, the financial impact on the voyages. And from a voyage that is basically giving a TC equivalent 7,000, above 7,000, clearly we are now, we need more than 4,000 in 26 to do the same TC equivalent. When you look at the Baltic index, this slide is showing what would need to be the level at which the Baltic index would need to be to kind of cover the additional cost of the EU ETS, again, taking into consideration the values phased in. So obviously we just saw the financial impact of the EU ETS, which is tremendous. Therefore, to get prepared and to get correctly prepared is of paramount importance. Clearly, the first element is to assess who is going to be the compliant entity. And it has been long discussion between the ship owner, the dock entity holder. And clearly, it's a matter of, I would say, discussions and exchanges to decide who is going to be the final compliant entity. 
Indeed, once this is decided, it should be clearly mentioned in the shipment contract. That's obvious. Then, obviously, the compliant entity should open a, a GSG account in the union regi registry to be able to trade EUAs, eventually on board with Vertis, and then buying EUAs following strategies that I will cover in a minute. And then, finally, surrender the EUAs by latest September 25. It is clear that another topic that has generated a lot of discussion is who should be responsible financially for the payment of EUAs. Clearly, the owner is the entity responsible for surrendering and to be compliant. Nevertheless, the financial burden should also be shared by the charters and therefore there should be a commercial discussion between the owner and the charters to assess who, we, who will ultimately bear that financial exposure. So as I was mentioning before, it's now the stage at which the owner of the charters will buy the EUAs. And there are various trading purchasing strategies. The first one is based on the volume, obviously based on the previous year MRV, you know what is your volume, your exposure, and therefore you could take that volume divided by 12 and say, I'm gonna buy that volume monthly to spread the risk. The second strategy is based on the pricing. And here the whole purpose is to try to optimize your entry point. We have been trading in the EUS, EUS, sorry, for the last 20 years plus. And therefore, we have developed trading tools like price corridor, market seasonality, Monte Carlo simulation that are clearly helping you to make the right decision to optimize your entry point. We are also obviously using the classic tools of fundamental analysis and technical analysis. And at the same time, we are closely following the EU policies and their evolutions. The third tra trading strategy is basically the timing. And that's probably one of the most important. That timing of purchase, the EUA, is actually based on the cost path through element. And that's very important because obviously for the owner, the target is to try to avoid generating any financial exposure. Therefore, the idea would be to have the cost of the EUS pass to the charters at the same time that they are purchased actually. For example, in the freight, in the voyage charter, the cost of EUS for the corresponding voyage could be added to the freight element and passed on to the charters at the same time. So clearly, again, the target here is to avoid generating a financial exposure for the owner. So that was in a nutshell what we could say about the implementation of the EU ETS to shipping.
During that session, we covered the scopes, we covered the price and the volatility of the EUS uh, market. We also covered the compliance strategy, uh, how to get organized, the financial implication of the EU ETS on the shipping, and obviously when you should start to get prepared for your compliance and in order to properly tackle the forthcoming extension of the EU ETS to shipping. So thank you very much for joining this webinar. I hope it was interesting and insightful for you. Obviously, it's always challenging to summarize in 20 minutes or so the extension of the EU ETS to shipping. But again, I would like to suggest to reach out if you have any further queries, interrogation, because we would very much be interested and appreciative to support you in your challenges ahead when it comes to EU ETS. Again, thank you very much for your attention and I hope to see you soon. Thank you very much. Goodbye.